You're listening to Eye on the Ball with Steve Rivera. This podcast is a Bustos Media production on The Voice. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Eye on the Ball here on 1030 AM. I am your host, Steve Rivera. In with me, as usual, on a Thursday, Mr. Tom Callahan, and I'm assuming that he doesn't think he'll get drafted tonight. I know I will not get drafted, so we'll be talking about it. How are you, Tom? You know, Steve, those who can play and those who can't talk about it. <laughs> yes, I've <laughs> so heard that's that what phrase we're doing. many times, and that's for me for a lot of different subjects, which is not good. Yes, yeah, so you and I will will get to talk about the draft all that we please. And uh, you know what? It's probably, I mean, to be fair, this is the biggest thing that's happened in sports in, what, six weeks? Uh, no, I would say in six days, five days, because of the uh, Michael Jordan thing. You know, which I still haven't seen. Oh, so it wasn't big to you. Oh, no. No. But it was I, uh, big. It was big, but I get it. This is like the first really live sports that we've seen, if you're not a horse racing guy, because people who follow horse racing, they've been running, just with no fans. Yeah. I do know I, they're the only ones, and I know they announced uh, that Tiger and Phil are going to play along with Peyton Manning and I think Tom Brady, a golf tournament for, for charity eventually. Um, but When's that? Have they made the announcement? I want, uh, they were talking about playing. Yeah, they, they haven't made the official announcement, but the, it's out there that they're going to do it, and I thought they had said probably May and possibly in Florida, wow. but they won't disclose what course or anything like that. Oh, okay. I assume there's going to be TV there? Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I would imagine. So it's going to be, uh, now they've decided it's going to be for COVID-19 relief. So they're going to turn it into oh, a yeah. charity event. Sure. Make some money uh, through TV or however. If they're not telling anybody where it's at, the local people won't be able to contribute to that until it's after the fact. That, well, that's good. That's good. It's always helping uh, some people, some cause. And obviously, this is the cause of the moment, uh, of the century, of the... Of a, uh, of a lifetime for some. But a busy day. We're going to have uh, David Kelly on about 6.30. He's with KVOA after a long stint with KOLD. So we'll talk sports with him. I always like talking to Dave because he's very opinionated and speaks his mind. He's a big or was a big Cleveland, uh, Cleveland Brown guy. His dad played for the Cleveland Browns, Hall of Famer. Um, so we'll talk about that and uh, what he thinks about the draft. Uh, he, he waxed poetic and how much he hated the Cleveland Browns after they drafted Mayfield a couple of years back. And now it looks like he's back for whatever reason, although he still hates Mayfield. So, well, the, the dichotomy. You know, it's it's kind of funny because you look at teams like the Browns that continually swing and miss. I, the jury's still out, obviously, on Baker Mayfield. Um, but, you know, they went after Johnny Manziel, and that was just... I, you know, I want these guys. I want it to work out for these guys, Steve. I want to root for the 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 hard cases because I want them to have a successful career and a successful life. But it just doesn't always work. And the Browns seem to exacerbate no, no. that. And, and they make a lot of money to make sure it works, and it doesn't always happen. Right. So we'll talk about the draft here, probably at the other side of the break uh, as it continues on. I think they're what on pick nine ish, probably by now. Uh, Carolina's pick um, seven has just come in. Just okay. So they haven't announced it yet. Soon, and we'll talk. We'll talk about the order uh, here on the other side. The uh, big news early overnight, early this morning, uh, UA got another recruit international flair like the previous one. 
He's a big man from France, uh, Daniel Bacho. I hope I'm saying that right, right. B-A-T-C-H-O. At least that's how I see it in the American uh, pronunciation. Uh, so big man, Daniel Bacho. So Miller is going overseas to get his guys. Uh, not totally shocked. Uh, he needs players. He needs players now. Um, although they're going to have a decent guy, a dis- decent group coming back next year. Uh, we'll see how good they merge or meld or whatever. But after listening to Buckmaster and the president of the university, what did you get from that? That there may not be a season in November, December. I uh, to me, it sounded that that is the plan that's on the drawing board and they're comfortable with it. Uh, to me, it sounds like there will not be sports in the fall uh, and it'll be pushed to the second half. Uh, so basically 2021 calendar year. And they're they're okay with that. My question is, Steve, because there's a lot of support staff that kind of double dip, but in different seasons. If you have no fall sports season and everything goes into spring, what does that do as far as putting the stress on the staff uh, as and whether it's medical staff or, or other support staff that, that go between these things, you know, ADs and what have you, um, are they going to hire more people? Are they going to just try to stretch everybody thinner? I'm really curious to know how that would all line itself up behind the scenes. That's a very good question and very good uh, foresight because you're correct. Uh, if everybody plays on the spring side of the year, uh, wow, you are. They're going to be stretched out uh, pretty thinly. I don't think there's going to be any money to hire anybody. Uh, in fact, furloughs are happening, pay cuts, uh, job losses, things like that. Um, how do you hire somebody under these conditions? Although there was a job freeze right now till I think the beginning of June. But I, I agree with you. It's a trickle-down effect on a number of different levels. We've seen it. Uh, we've seen it in a lot of different things. Um, but uh, imagine in January if there's some football, there's some basketball, there's baseball, there's softball, there's all the sports that are coming back, the facilities to be used, how that's going to be run. Man, Mikhail is going to be a very busy or, well, inundated, inundated with a number of, uh, a number of uh, situations in terms of time and schedule. Maybe uh, Richard Jefferson Jim is used a lot. We'll see. I guess if whatever plan they come up with, it's not a done deal yet. So they'll figure it out. They're smart guys. Yeah. Good catch, though. Yeah, well, there's, I mean, there's going to be a lot there. And as you mentioned, because the the easiest way would clearly be to hire more people. But as you say, you know, will the money be there? And the answer is probably not. So they're going to have to devise ways to to get around all of those little hurdles that will be there. Right, right. It's funny. Here we are in April twenty, April twenty third. People are talking about that down the road. It's seven months down the road. We're in what hostage day of forty ish, maybe. I'm taking a guess here. Uh, hostage day forty, and um, it's a long road ahead. As some people say we're probably only in the second inning. If you want to use that analogy with baseball. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it's way early, but people are still clamoring to get out. You talked about the golf thing uh, here. Uh, I know that uh, they're talking about maybe doing some driving, um, some uh, real driving in some motor speedways, uh, things like that. So I think that you're eventually going to see a little trickle out and test the waters and see how it is outside, uh, despite the numbers still being, being I want to say high, but steady, if that makes any sense. Yeah, we really haven't seen 
anything to indicate yet whether it's some places are saying they think it's flattening other places cases are still going up so i mean overall we're, we're definitely not on the backside of this thing and i think until we get to the backside of it that's when the discussions become more quote-unquote real yeah, no question. Hey, uh, Tom, let's take a quick break here. Come back on the other side, talk a little about the draft. If anybody wants to call in, please do, 790-2040. We'd be glad to hear from you. Haven't heard from any of you lately. We kind of don't do the radio uh, number when we have busy guests, and we've been really busy with the guests. 790-2040, come back on the other side. Hey, welcome back to Eye on the Ball here on 1030 The Voice. I'm your host, Steve Rivera. In with me on the other side at the office, Mr. Tom Callahan. So what does it look like now? Uh, uh, the Cardinals are picking number nine. Uh, they have yet to make the announcement. Is that right? Actually, Steve, just as we were coming back from break, it has been announced. And they have picked Isaiah Simmons from Clemson, uh, the outside linebacker. And he was ranked first in his position by ESPN and overall rank uh, fourth grade of 94. So Simmons on a Clemson six foot four, two 238 pounds outside linebacker. Yeah, I remember the name. He's a good, good player back uh, last year. Uh, big guy. I remember that name. Uh, so you want to announce who the first pick was? And no surprise, right? Going to Cincinnati, Joe Burrow? Yep, no surprise there. Burrow goes first and then Chase Young to Washington. Jeff Okuda ends up going to the Lions at number three. Uh, to me, two surprises so far, Steve, is that the Dolphins jumped in on Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama at number five despite his injury history. And Justin Herbert from Oregon becomes the first Pac-12 player to go. He goes number six to the Chargers, who do need a quarterback, but um, they they just must like his size and his arm an awful lot. I, I felt like he would probably be later in the first round. Now, he had been making some strides in the last two or three weeks uh, up up on the uh, radar, so that helped him. Obviously, I've I been impressed with him. The guy that, you know, was funny last year, two years ago, I guess it was, when, um, you know, I'm not an evaluator. I don't, I don't pay attention to stuff like that. But uh, when he played down at uh, UCLA, uh, the quarterback there who got drafted by Arizona and got traded to the Miami Dolphins, tell me real quick, um, well, I, I'm not good know, with where guys went to college, but that's not Tannehill, is it? It's, it's no, it's UCLA. UCLA. Um, um, it'll come to me. I gotta lose names like crazy. So he was drafted by Arizona. wasn't very good. I uh, Josh, Josh, um, Josh, 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 Josh. Uh, Josh. I looked at the rest of the name. Will come to me. Um, where he, I thought that was a crazy pick. You know, smart guy, but he didn't impress me at UCLA when I saw him there against Josh Arizona. Rosen? I'm thinking, this guy is really. That's it, Josh Rosen, uh, where I said, how is this guy going to be a top pick? He's kind of soft to me. He, he's, uh, to me, that not that good. And he went to the Cardinals and obviously didn't do that well. And now he's in, I think he's in Miami now. So he'll have competition. I don't, I don't see that his career will last very longer, very much longer than maybe four, five, six years uh, because of just that reason. He's just not that good. Although, you know, people make mistakes all the time, pick players they think have a lot of potential. That's kind of like the NBA, but for NFL, uh, I think it happens less less frequent than it does in the NBA, but uh, there's still problems with the potential of players. I actually remember watching Rosen play live against the Broncos and uh, just talking to the Cardinals fans, and, and I'm Is a that, Bills fan, but man, they were so down on him before they traded him. 
Was that was that uh, that Monday or Thursday night game? Thursday night game, yeah, and it felt like a Broncos home game being up there. It was incredible. You know, I went to that game. I, I don't go to many NFL games. I went to that game on a Thursday night. It was murder, murder trying to get to Phoenix uh, under that traffic for the game. Yeah, or whatever six o'clock started. It was just horrible, horrible. Got in my seat about ten minutes into the game, and they were already down, and it, they got they got crushed. <laughs> it never uh, got Denver, better. You're right, a lot of fans in Phoenix. Yeah, it's. I'm amazed by how many Broncos fans are in Arizona, quite frankly. I know Colorado's not that far away, I get it, but I'm just, I don't know, I'm kind of shocked by that. I didn't think there'd be as many Bronco fans here. Well, they're all over the place, and not just Bronco fans. It's usually a home game for the Cowboys, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Oakland Raiders, uh, the Broncos probably. Um, and a number of the Chicago Bears, likely. Oh, Chicago uh, for Phoenix sure. Phoenix is a melting pot for yeah, so it's more uh, other teams than the Phoenix Car- Phoenix Cardinals, how I referred to them back when they showed up on the uh, on the on the scene in 1988. I think it was. I remember doing the story on a breaking news situation. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, Phoenix is comprised of a lot of other teams, not the Cardinals. I think other teams have more fans than the Cardinals. L.A. has that to a certain it's extent a too. Yeah, it's for a reason why I don't really talk too much about the Phoenix market because, man, if they can't support their fans. Well, you know why would we? Or why would I on my show? But uh, no question, uh, other other teams. I mean, Pittsburgh played a Monday night game or a Sunday night game in Phoenix last year. It was like eighty twenty percent, eighty to twenty. Yeah, uh, with the with the Steelers more fans. Yeah, and it's uh, and like I say, I'm obviously not born and bred a Cardinals fan or anything like that. I was, you know, Buffalo Bills fan. But it's just I, I'd like to see the Arizona teams do well. You know, I'd like to support them. Um, you know, all of them. I'd like to see them do well just because, hey, this is where I live and it's in my best interest that I think teams in my state do well. But you know what? I, I agree with you. It's just, oh, and it's murder. The traffic is absolute murder trying to get out to that west side of town. Oh, nightmare. Yeah, no question. Let me ask you something. Um, did you see the beginning of the draft? I'd probably, you probably didn't. You are too busy getting ready for the show. Uh, I had it on on my laptop next to me. So I saw Roger Goodell um, in his basement yeah. and, and trying to preview things a little bit and then getting booed. It was – well, it, they did the best they could. It, obviously, there's no fans yelling at him. They try to emulate that with the, uh, with the ability that we're all on this uh, – not Zoom, but uh, this technology that we're on with the computers now, and brought in a number of people booing him because that's usually what happens. <laughs> and uh, I guess it's the best you can do. It's, it might be the best we can do until the actual sports or meetings like that happen in real life. Because um, what else do we have? In fact, you know, I haven't seen. I saw you. When was the last time I saw you? Last week, sometime. Uh, yes, Maybe? and that was only because I had to drop a microphone stand off to you. We talked for about oh, 30 seconds. that's right. That's right. You came to the house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I haven't seen you at the office in a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's been, it's been yeah. a while. And uh, you're, you're, you're better off, Tom. You're better off. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's crazy, Steve. It's lonely here right now because everybody, even, you know, sister station down the hall, they do stuff at home on 106.3 The Groove. And um, so, the, you know, and that's the world we do live in. You can do the show from home and, and they can do the show from home. Um, you do still need someone in this case, me, spinning the dials here. But outside of that, I mean, all our sales folks are, are working from home and busting their tails and uh, management and everything. So, yeah, it's it's an odd time. It's very odd, and I kind of wonder: um, Are we going to see more people just working from home moving forward? Are there going to be less people in an office space? I like the routine of going into work 
you know, whatever it is, even though mine's completely different. I go into work in the afternoon and the evening, but I like it. I like that routine. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I like it too. There is that, that missing of people, that human, uh, human element. But I would assume it might save companies money if you have no billing to go to or rent to be paid. Oh, sure. Just make sure that the, the people are working. It happens. It happens all over the place. San Francisco, LA, when, when it takes 20,000 hours to get to work in the morning, um, why not just have them home and be productive there instead of wasting time on the road? Absolutely. And that's, and I guess it depends on your job too, but man, if you can, if you can get employees to, you know, not be in as much, obviously smaller office means you're spending less money, means, you know, less money to keep the lights on, the air conditioning going and and all the stuff that maybe you have to do for employees at an office. I could see those being cost cutting measures, but I would miss just being around people. And and again, having that, I feel like I need to leave the house. You know, I want to get out of the house. I don't want to spend 24-7 at my house. I like my house. Don't get me wrong. I just don't want to be there all the time. Right. No, no. That's why people are antsy. Uh, they got to get out and do something and enjoy their lives and uh, not be contained for a number of hours. You know, taking like you've seen the stuff on Facebook, you know, taking the vacation in the back room, in the back, in the, yeah. in the backyard. Um, you know, I'm going to a cup of coffee in the suite of uh, of your own house. Blah blah blah. Hey, what's the number? What's the name now on the uh, number nine pick? Who's on the clock? So the number nine pick just came in. Uh, it was the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they selected C.J. Henderson out of Florida, cornerback. So the Cleveland Browns are up next at number ten. You know the one thing that we'll not hear tonight. Um, Steve Rivera drafted. Good one, but uh, no, no one from the University of Arizona. I don't think anyone's going to be drafted tonight. Maybe, maybe on a JJ Taylor. Maybe I don't. Not tonight. Maybe tomorrow. Uh, not tonight. Uh, uh, Khalil Tate. I don't think he'll be drafted at all in the next couple of days. That uh, talk about a guy who's fallen so quick in two years after being on Sports Illustrated's cover a couple of years ago. Um, there's a lot of things, and there's really nobody here, uh, and hasn't been here in a while that deserves to be drafted this high on day one. Steve, I wanted to ask you about Khalil because, you know, that was a guy who, and obviously he still believes in himself as a quarterback. Does anybody take a flyer on him as a quarterback or does he have to change positions if he's even going to get a sniff in the NFL? That's the whole thing. They've asked him a thousand times. um, Are you willing to change positions to get to the NFL? And he says no. He said no. Uh, I guess when push comes to shove or putting food on the table. Maybe he does because he's a heck of an athlete, can, can run by people in a flash, has that elusiveness to him. Um, over the last few years, it was kind of strange because he didn't want to run. He, you know, he didn't, he didn't want to get hurt, didn't want to get hit. But uh, I think that's his best chance. And unless they groom him to be this quarterback that he may just not be. Maybe, maybe he sees it himself, but other people haven't seen it. And he sure didn't really produce anything to, to make him you know, appealing to people who would want to vote, not vote for him, but to, to draft him. Yeah, he would didn't you? change anybody's mind. No, he didn't no, change no, my no, mind. No, no, no. In fact, it became worse because after the sophomore year and he was fantastic in that month of October and, and couldn't be stopped and did a lot of magic, you know, he didn't have that game again. Maybe glimpses, maybe, maybe glimpses. But um, it happens. 
heck, things change, and it definitely changed for him. Uh, I can't remember in the last 10, 20, 30 years who a guy who had been so high uh, coming from Arizona and had fallen so fast. I just don't remember. And, uh, you know, a lot of people can say things maybe, oh, they, they tried to use him differently in the scheme or they weren't running him as much. And I think some people are trying to blame the coaching and the game planning, but I, I don't know. I, I don't really know that that's, that's fair because no matter what, if you're a quality quarterback and, and he fancied himself a pocket passer, not even a running quarterback, he fancied himself a pocket guy. Okay, if you are, you should be able to stand in and make the throws. And I, again, I mean, that's what a quarterback does. That's your main function. I didn't see it. No, you're not alone. People didn't see it. Um, no, pocket passer, I guess, we can all believe that we who we are is what we are, but many times we're not what we think we are. Uh, was that Dennis Green? Uh, um, but, you know, sometimes you just don't have, you have an illusion of who you are. Sure. And um, I think Khalil did believe that he was something that he was not, especially the passer. It's funny because after the first year, I think it was junior year, I was in the press room after the game. I think it was a victory. He had 26 throws if not 36 I just kind of remember that number those numbers and um, I asked him is that appropriate for you or do you like the number appropriate and he looked at me like that was a dumb question I'm a quarterback that's what quarterbacks do and I'm thinking not you the quarterback you're a running quarterback you shouldn't have that many passes but he wanted to prove that he could get it done that way Um, I don't think he ever did that yeah, no, I, I would agree with you. By the way, Steve, the Browns have picked Jedrick Wills Jr. from Alabama offensive tackle at number 10, and the Jets are on the clock at number 11. So they need to, to protect Mr. Mayfield. I'll talk to David Kelly about that and see if he's happy about it. I'll talk to him about what he wrote this morning or last night about his love for Cleveland and uh, his thoughts because he's been from Cleveland. Uh, well, he's lived in Cleveland all his life but until, until here and his time at USC. So we'll talk about what he feels about the Browns, and I'm not sure anybody does in Tucson, but we'll ask him about that. We'll talk about the Arizona recruiting and his thoughts of the possibility, possibility of not having sports here in the fall at U of A. Let's take a quick break here on 1030 The Voice. Come back on the other side. Hey, welcome back to Why in the Ball here on 1030 The Voice. I'm your host, Steve Rivera. Now with me, Mr. David Kelly of KVOA. News, news now, mostly news, not sports. How are you, David? Good, Steve. How are you on this NFL draft night? I assume, oh, did you work today or are you kind of watching the draft on the side? No, just sitting home and, and re-enjoying my, uh, my return to Brown's fandom. And, and you know, because I've been off for a couple of years because I'm still not happy with the pick of Baker Mayfield. But uh, the guy that made that pick, got fired so i'm back <laughs> got it i got I, in fact i i mentioned that a few times in the earlier spots today and um i i thought it was kind of funny it was long and it was funny uh given your your like and then dislike and then your like again uh we'll see what happens did you like the pick that just happened within the last three or four minutes yeah, Jedrick Willis, uh, the, the big tackle out of Alabama. Can't go wrong with a, with a member of the Crimson Tide, one of the best programs in college football, and that's the piece that the Browns needed. Everybody pretty much figured that they were going to go offensive tackle with that first pick. Um, you know, there were thoughts of, you know, it might be Wills, it might be the kid Andrew Thomas, uh, and it ended up being Wills. So you, and he's, I think he's a, played mostly right tackle in college. 
They'll probably move him over to that left side and make him the protector of the quarterback, who shall remain nameless, and we will go from there. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, how has your life changed in the last two, three months because of all this? Um, well, obviously, it's, it's different. We're, we're not going into the station every day anymore. Uh, we work remotely, obviously. I uh, work out of my car a lot, which is going to be interesting now that it's starting to get hot. Uh, and I may have to be running my car idle sitting in wherever I am for four to five hours a day. That, that's going to be interesting once we get into the, the 90s and the 100s. But I work out a lot out of my home here uh, on the north side. And, and, and that's kind of the biggest difference outside of, you know, not really doing much sports. We do a lot more news. I, I think of the five stories I did last week, uh, one was sports, four were news. Or actually, I only did four stories last week, so this past week. So it's three and one, three news, one sports. Uh, and and it, it varies from week to week. There are some weeks where I've done maybe kind of a three to two, three news, two sports, depending on the week and what's going on. Uh, but yeah, it's been mostly kind of a uh, more of a news oriented. We don't obviously have the designated news of the sports segment anymore that that you would normally see. That's kind of been taken out. And and if we are doing sports, it's just kind of sometimes depending on what the, what it is and the importance of it. It's in maybe up higher in the show and in the A block. Uh, if it's not of major importance. It might be down in the BC or D blocks, depending on the, which show and, and the timing of it all. But yeah, those are the two biggest differences. More news, no no set sports block, and, and working remotely. Don't you think, I know a lot of stations have kind of gone that way, even before all this. Uh, once, Like in anything, once you take it away, it's hard to get back. It is. It is, and it's going to be interesting just kind of how it begins to flow out i know that you know we've kind of shifted mostly to news although i know uh, at the other stations in town i think the, the guys are still doing a lot a little bit more sports than say we are um but again that's that's the call of each individual news department and news director how they handle that uh and it's going to be i mean like i said i, don't, I mean and, you know you talk i know you talked a lot on your show yesterday about what you know the comments that president robbins made uh on bill buckmaster's show and, and whether or not there's going to be football and I think that's right. going to kind of dictate how this thing moves forward. I mean, obviously, that's the first thing coming back in the fall, you know, whether it's high school football or, or college football or, you know, it's funny, we're all excited about the NFL draft tonight, about a season that probably won't even be played, at least not not beginning in September. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out over the next couple of months. I mean, I agree a lot with what, you know, uh, President Robbins had to say. I think my moment, and I, I kind of tweeted about this a few weeks ago, the moment for me was when I walked into Walmart and I was really uncomfortable being around a lot of people. And that was kind of the moment that I realized it's like, man, if I'm uncomfortable being in Walmart around a lot of people, uh, how are you going to be comfortable being in stadiums in a couple of months? And that's why I just don't see it happening on the regular schedule. Now, will it happen, say, at the turn of the year in January or something like that? I know they're talking about a truncated schedule where they play football and basketball at the same time, which would be very interesting. But I think that would be a whole lot of fun, having football and basketball going at the same time, if you could do that in January. And, and you know, in a, in a market like this, that's fine. I think in a lot of markets in the East, it would, it's probably going to be pretty cold. But, 
you know, you're talking about, you know, four or five home games. I'm sure they can survive if it's five or ten degrees. And some of those places like Michigan and Minnesota and Ohio and Illinois and all those places. But uh, it would be very interesting to see football and basketball played at the same time if that's eventually how it all plays out. Don't forget you have baseball. Don't forget you have softball. Don't forget you have this and that. Oh, yeah. But that would be further into, you know, February. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe even that, if maybe if they bumped those sports, if they bumped the spring sports maybe even back a month, say like normally softball and baseball start first, second week in February, maybe they push those sports back to first, second week, beginning of March uh, and kind of just push everything a month because baseball traditionally goes past the end of the school year anyway. Uh, as does track. So you have a lot of spring sports that go past the traditional ending of the school year in early May. So I think that you could do that. You could play with that schedule a little bit more and push some of those to where as long as they were still ending by the end of fiscal, which is June 30th, you could still, you know, you could still do that. You could still push those spring sports back a month, I think, and, and make everything work. So um, the big news on Saturday or Sunday, Sunday night, was the Michael Jordan piece, uh, the 10-part series. I'm sure you saw some of it, uh, being a kid from Cleveland growing up. Yeah, I assume no. that most – you did not see it. You did not see it. You, you and my guy no Tom. I have, I have no interest in, in paying any attention. I, I heard Tom's comments earlier this week about growing up in Buffalo and, 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 and kind of being a Lakers fan versus a Bulls fan. Uh, well, let's just put it this way, Steve. The Cavs and the Bulls met five times in the playoffs between about 1988 and 1994. Five times the Cavs didn't win any of those series. So that, that kind of tells you my love of Michael Jordan. Yeah, no, I have no I – have, I have like, uh, to me, the Bulls are like the Yankees. You know, it's like a, it's an extreme – Hatred. So I have no interest in anything that has to do with the Chicago Bulls. David, I That's hear you 100% on that. 100%. Although you, you do have to put some of the blame on Craig Elo, don't you? I mean, come on. Well, I mean, I, Elo was a decent defensive player. I mean, he just, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say, you know, Michael Jordan's the best player on the planet. He yeah. He's probably the best player on the planet on the last shot. I mean, I don't know that he could have played any better defense than he, than he did on that particular play. I mean, it was just a great player making a great shot and, yeah. and busting, you know, c- continuing that, 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 what, that name legacy of tough losses in Cleveland that we endured for 52 years until 2016 where we came back from 3-1 to beat the Warriors. Yep, there you go. Yeah, just another yeah. reason to hate the Bulls. No, no. I think I think you answered my question anyway, David, because I was going to ask you growing up, uh, what, 20 years younger, what were your thoughts of Michael Jordan? Thank you for answering it without answering. Well, see, but now, now let me, well, and it's interesting because now I, I, I went to high school in Illinois, so I was, I was in high school when Jordan joined the Bulls. Now, I did, and I'm not, you know, again, a lot of my hatred of him was grown. It wasn't immediate because, you know, when he first came into the league, there was no you know, there was no hatred for the Bulls at that point because they were terrible. It grew as he became good and the teams got to the playoffs. And then, like I said, we between 88 and 94, they met five times with the Cavs. But, yeah, when I was in high school and he first came on the scene, yeah, you absolutely had an appreciation 
for the player that he was. In fact, I can remember we were a bunch of us in, in you know on Facebook in my high school group were talking about the time. I believe it was his rookie year. They came down and played an exhibition game down in Bloomington Normal, which is where I went to high school in Illinois. And you know we were, we all remembered that night we were there. We went there to see see the the new hot kid on the block and in the Bulls in that exhibition game. So yeah, it wasn't an immediate hatred. It was a grown hatred. I used to love the commercials with Spike Lee and the the Nike commercials. I always thought those were a lot of fun because I was a big Spike Lee fan back in the day. A lot of people, uh, it, I guess, it, we all have that person in our life that people confuse us with. And for me, that was always Spike Lee in the 80s and the 90s. People thought that I looked like Spike Lee because I kind of had, my, you know, the bigger uh, frame glasses back in the day. Uh, so, yeah, so I always kind of enjoyed those Michael Jordan, uh, Spike Lee commercials, the Morse, Morse Brown commercials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's switch to U of A now that we talked a little bit about it. Uh, U of A basketball, Sean's gone after a couple of foreign players and a familiar player. We'll talk about the foreign players real quick over the last week or so. They got a big man yesterday with the guard earlier, uh, like late last week, and then a guy by the name of Jason Terry. What do you think about all that? <laughs> Well, I mean, that's a, that's a great, you know, I mean, again, we, we've kind of been down that road before with Damon Stoudemire. Damon obviously had a little bit more experience as a head, as a coach. I mean, I believe that, you know, he was in Memphis, I believe, before he came out here. Uh, yeah. Jason has mm-hmm. not, obviously never coached before, but such a big NBA name that it's going to resonate in whatever, you know, living room that he goes into. I think that, he, especially with kids nowadays, kids are still old enough to remember that Mavericks team. Uh, you know, that's probably when a lot, of the, a lot of the kids now that are that are starting to pick colleges, you know, the Mavericks, those Maverick teams were probably the teams that they paid a lot of attention to back in the day. So it's a name that's going to resonate with 17- and 18-year-olds in their living room. Uh, and so I think that's always important when you can have a guy like that that not only, I think, is going to connect with your past and your fan base, but also has, is young enough and played recently enough that he's going to connect with a lot of the kids whose living rooms that you're going to be into. So um, that'll be interesting if it happens. Yeah, what about uh, Tom? We'll go, we'll take a little bit more time with my guy Dave, uh, the foreign guys. He, he hasn't been well, not successful. It's not the right word, but he's gone after the European guys more so now because he needs to fill the roster. Your thoughts on that? Well, yeah. I mean, I think you just hit it on the point there. I mean, you you got seven guys leaving. So you've got to bring guys in. And, you know, Sean has been a guy that has proved in the past that he can go overseas and, and get some talent, whether, you know, it was, you know, the, the legendary Kirill Natyasko, who didn't last that long. Uh, and then, of course, <laughs> you, had, you had Lowry Markkinen, who went on to be a first-round pick, and, and Caleb Tarzuski, who was a four-year player. I, I would hope that maybe these kids that he's bringing don't forget, in Don't forget Dusan don't forget Dusan. Dusan, yeah, right. Dusan Ristic. Yeah, I would hope that these that these kids are more along the lines of maybe a Dusan or, or Caleb who are going to stay for three or four years versus, you know, n- nothing against Lowry, but he was only here, you know, he was only here for a year. And, and, a lot, and I think that's that's been the issue with Sean is, is the one and done and the magnitude of one and done that he's brought into this program. And I just don't think you can live. And, and, I, and I always tell people, you know, I, and I, we've talked about this before, I covered the Memphis, uh, Memphis Tigers uh, back when Calipari was there, and I thought the, that 2018, the team that went to the finals and lost to, to Kansas because they couldn't shoot free throws, 
but I thought the way that Calipari built that team, he built that team with a bunch of three, four-star guys who were four were solid four-year core role players. And then when he had that nucleus, he went out and dropped in the Derrick Rose one-and-done piece to get them over the top. I think that's how you do it. You build, you create, you, you build your roster of core long-term guys, and then you get that one, two, maybe piece, one-and-done kid to come in with a core group versus bringing in, you know, three one-and-dones in one year, knowing they're all going to be gone, and you don't really have any time to work with, and with any of them. I mean, to me, that was, that was a dramatic mistake. I mean, again, it, I mean, great, great talents, and, and some of them may go in the first round, some of them may not, but you just don't have enough time to incorporate them into a program and to get a cohesive, uh, cohesiveness going when you've got that many kids coming in that aren't going to be around long term. No question. In fact, uh, this will probably just be the last thing. Uh, in fact, I uh, talk to this, uh, uh, talk on this subject a lot with a friend of mine who, who loves Kyle Parry, and I'm thinking that to him that he's probably the most overrated college basketball coach that I know, given that he get, he has great talent year in, year out, whether at Memphis or mm-hmm. Kentucky, and he can't win a championship. He's won one in the last mm-hmm. eight, nine, ten years. Uh, for that reason, you explain. It, too tough to get him to groove in uh, four right. or five months. Right, and I think that was, and that was one of the interesting things I think that came out of the scheme when even uh, Christian Dawkins said that, that, you know, when he mentioned the fact that Kentucky is the only team that, that, that you can actually talk to about, their, about the players leaving because, you know, he's going to get five more the next year. But it's, it's just tough to win like that. It's tough to win when you've got that many kids, you know, you're channeling that many kids in and out of your program on an annual basis. You've got to have a core group that's going to be there long term and then sprinkle in a one and done here and there to kind of keep you in that that conversation which I think he did early on you know Sean did early on when he was kind of sprinkling in the Aaron Gordons and the you know and the Stanley Johnsons with guys that were there long term Ron Day you know was there a couple of years you know versus but they were there was always a core of veteran players, whether it was a TJ, whether it was Nick Johnson, whether it was a Solomon Hill that was there that could carry you. Those were your leaders, and then you brought the young guy in, but you can't bring those young guys in and expect them to be your leaders. That just I just don't think that's a recipe for success. No question. No question. David, I get scared when talking to you because sometimes I agree with you, and I agree with you here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's good to, good to talk. Good to talk to you. I'm glad you're listening to the show. Hey, that you get an A, A, A for yeah. Effort. You know, I try. I try to. I, you know, if I'm out in the car, or if I'm driving around on a story, you know, between six and seven, I always try to pop you on, Steve, and see see what the, the topic of the day is. Great, great, great. Thanks a bunch, David. Good to talk to you. Good luck uh, with this virus. We'll see you soon, maybe in 2022. All right, man. Hopefully, we'll talk about some football soon. Yes, probably. Yes, we will. Thank you, Dave. That was David Kelly of KVOA. An A for effort for David. Uh, Let's take a quick break here, Tom, and come back on the other side. Hey, welcome back to Eye on the Ball here on 1030 The Voice. I'm your host, Steve Rivera, and with me is Tom Callahan behind the screen on the other side, about 10 miles away from me. 
Hey, uh, I, you and I agree on a lot of different things, which I'm sorry to say, sorry for, for you, because if you agree with me, you're agreeing with me. But I, I assume that you probably agree with David in his analysis of, of the team in, in constructing one. Yeah, well, and yes, I, you know, it's interesting, Steve, because there's so many different ways. Look, there's as many opinions on how to build a team as there are people, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm in any sport, I'm a core guy. I think there are certain core positions in any sport that you need. In football, I like to build a line on either side, offensive and defensive line, and I think that's where you have to start. In hockey, I like to have a strong goaltender in defense. In football I, I, and in, in hockey and in basketball, I think defense wins championships. The superstar hotshot guys are out there. Um, and they can make a difference on your team. But if you don't have a strong core, that superstar guy doesn't have any basis from which to launch him or herself. And so I think if you don't have anything built first, um, there's there's nowhere to go. You can bring all the superstars in the world in, but and Michael Jordan is a great example of that. Jordan had a tremendous supporting cast. And so what he was able to do with the Bulls was because he knew that he could go do his Michael Jordan thing and everybody else filled in around him. And that's what made the Bulls a great team. Was Jordan their their leader and, and a guy who, you know, pulled things out for them at the last minute? Yeah. Dropped a ton of points when he needed to? Absolutely. But everybody around him enabled him to do that. Yeah, no question. In fact, I, I, when I listen to you, and I know very little about um, about hockey, what makes a, a stud or star player in hockey? And who, outside of telling me Gretzky, because that's very obvious, who, what am I looking at? A guy who what? Well, you know what? I think the best players are the most cerebral. And, and this is any sport. Totally agree. Totally agree. If you can't think the game, you can have all the natural talent in the world. And people can tell you where to go and what to do, but... Uh, that's what made Gretzky great was he was not the biggest. He was not the fastest. He was not the strongest, but he was the smartest. And he knew where guys were going to be before they were there. And he could put the puck where they were going, not where they were. Same thing with the great passers in basketball. And I, you look at Magic Johnson, who I, I mean, I go back to being a Lakers fan as a kid. He would throw a basketball without looking to an area and all of a sudden, just as it looked like the ball was going to fly off into the stands, a teammate arrives and is set up for a wide-open shot. Like, that right. kind of vision is what makes a great player to me. I, I totally agree with you. I think the guy like that is a Steve Nash. Uh, he see things before they happen. Uh, the guy here that did that a lot and did that brilliantly to me was uh, Luke Walton. He could put him in a spot and, and know where to get the ball at what time and what moment. Uh, very un- undersung in, in terms of that team in 2001 when they had Richard Jefferson, um, uh, Michael Wright, uh, J- Jason Gardner, Gilbert Arenas, and uh, Gilbert Arenas and Luke, and there was one more. Um, the big guy, holy moly, I'm getting older. Um, Lauren Woods, you know, and, it, and to me, it's still the best team at U of A ever uh, finished second to Duke. But uh, yeah, if you have guys like that who know the game, know how to play it, uh, spacing and things like that, because now, now, at least in the pros, it's about spacing, tempo, things like that. College has yet to really do that, at least in, in Arizona. But you have a lot of schools that go and like to run. Uh, Lutz teams did that, did that a lot, did that brilliantly, too. And Steve, that's why I think you see teams having success with various, you know, offensive structures, defensive structures, um, and and I think the teams that can adapt, 
you can have all the stud athletes you want. Kentucky is a great example of this, and I kind of like to pick on Kentucky. But we talk about this all the time. Look at all the superstar talent they've had roll through UK and one title. Yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree with you. I've said that to a number of people. Uh, Calipari, okay, you can get the players. Okay, now you get the players. What's the point? If you can't coach them to win a title or get there. I mean, Arizona played in the uh, a tournament uh, 2018, uh, DeAndre Ayton. I talk about this a lot. Trayer and Alkins, three good, very good players, obviously. Uh, with the surrounding cast, Arizona was supposed to be one of the best teams it's ever had. It, it hardly fell, hardly even came close. That year, uh, Kentucky was pretty good. They were in the same bracket in Boise. Uh, I think they lost in the Sweet 16. Uh, you know, what happens there? Remember they were like 40-0 and 0 or 30-some and 0. They were going to get to 44-0. Got beat by Wisconsin. I think it was 2016. Uh, so he's had some good teams. But uh, no titles. Maybe one. Maybe I think one. it's too much to ask of any basketball program to go completely undefeated. I just don't think you can do it. No, no, I agree with you. It's it's too many ch- shots, too many bullets to to dodge, too many chances to get beat. Uh, and and at this level, uh, the one thing that I think that people don't understand is how uh, psychology plays a part in in college sports. Because uh, kids show up when they want to. Uh, people uh, kind of walk around the court thinking, "I my my poop doesn't stink. I just have to show up and play." The other team doesn't care about that, and they show up and beat you. Right. And a lot of times, you know, if you are that big team, you've got a giant bullseye on your back. Everybody's gunning for you. Yeah, no question. I think Arizona suffered from that a lot in the playoffs or in the NCAA tournament back in the day under Lute in the first round when maybe there was maybe a little overconfidence in terms of getting them past that first round and then, you know, doing what they do uh, after that. But uh, it happens. It happens a lot. Psychology is a huge deal in in college sports. Um, When you think that you're invincible or whatever the word is, you get uh, you get beat. Well, that, yeah, absolutely, and that's what it is. When you're when you're 19 years old, you are invincible. You're the best. No one can beat you, and you're just going to go run through brick walls and and scale tall buildings and and you know do whatever you need to do, and then you run up against another guy who's always been the best in his program and can scale tall buildings and run through brick walls, and then you know it's the 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 immovable uh, object and the irresistible force who's going to win. Yeah, no question. Hey, we got about a minute or two. How many? Two minutes. Let's uh, let's kind of go back. We, we've missed some draft picks. Maybe last five. Uh, actually, the draft has not gotten that far, Steve. Everybody's taking their full ten minutes to pick. But uh, so we left off. So the Jets at number eleven. Um, Mickey Beckton out of Louisville, offensive tackle. At number 12, the Raiders, Henry Ruggs III out of Alabama, wide receiver. He's the first receiver to go in the draft, I believe. Uh, and Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, offensive tackle, 13th to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay better have a line to protect Tom Brady. That's all I got to say. So them picking right. an offensive tackle, no surprise. Yeah, it's funny. Did you see what happened to him? I guess it was yesterday. He went to go see Gronk and he went into the wrong house. Yeah, I, yeah, he walked into the house and the guy he, he had his door open and he's suddenly, you know, Tom Brady's in his kitchen going, I think I'm in the wrong house. <laughs> the guy says, well, can I make you a sandwich? You know, what, <laughs> can I get you anything? Yeah, that's got to be a kick. I mean, can you imagine Tom Brady just wanders into your house? Well, two things Two things happened to him within the last week. He was at a park with it. Uh, people said, uh, could you get out the park, please? Oh, Mr. Brady. But you still got to leave the park, Mr. Brady. But you still got to leave the park. Oh, Mr. Brady, what are you doing in my house? Could you clean some dishes, please? 
please? <laughs> While you're here. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, where's uh, Giselle? I, I'd rather see her. Amen. Hey, you ready to go? Well, I guess we're ready to go pretty soon. Uh, you know? Yeah, 20 seconds or so. Yeah, good to talk to you, Tom. I guess we'll see you next week or talk to you next week. Yes, sir. Thanks. I'm going to get Tom too tomorrow. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. I know David Kelly did. Uh, appreciate it. We'll talk to you guys later here on 1030 The Voice.